0: Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent. Welcome everybody. We're doing a chat about public procurement. We're going to do these every Wednesday and we're going to use Clubhouse as the format to be able to have this conversation, but we're also going to record the first 30 minutes for people who are not uh, Clubhouse to be able to get a sense of like what we do here. So the format's going to be, I'll invite up people that I know are practitioners in state and local public procurement to be able to chime in on the conversation. If you're not in public procurement, we'll invite you up in the in the question answer period where we're, it's not the recording. Does that make sense? So uh, I'm Dustin Lanier. I run a group called Civic Initiatives, and I was with the state of Texas for 10 years on a variety of roles. So today we wanted to talk about agility in contracting, and it's a topic that comes up a lot. How do we make the process be more effective for people who are, uh, for the vendor community, and also to get better outcomes out of our process? So I saw a couple days ago something where Colorado had done a new, a new approach to being able to acquire something they called demos, not memos. And so I'm trying to get a hold of those people and do an interview with them. I also did a thing with uh, Jim Colangelo for the state of Michigan recently, where he talked about doing competitive proof of concepts. And, you know, generally for the purpose of a chat today, I'm interested in how we can have the procurement process both be fair, but also be a little bit more current in terms of how, it allows for interactions with the vendors and to be able to test things the way that a lot of us do in the real world today. So let me ask Jamie as somebody that I know, you know, is a state procurement officer and thinks about a lot of this stuff to kind of kick us into the conversation. And then what I'll do is I'll watch for people who are unmuting and try to come to you guys. And, you know, rather than spend a lot of time on intros, let's just focus on the conversation. So Jamie, what do you think about competitive proof of concepts or, other ways to open up the procurement process a little bit to, uh, to, to allow for more flexibility.
1: I think the term agile procurement, when it's thrown out there, um, needs to be a little bit more defined because everybody thinks about agile in a new and different way. So when I think of the word agile procurement, right, it's based on, Getting to the end goal of the government agency, what they need to buy in the most efficient manner possible, and it's right, and it's really the sprint versus the waterfall methodology. So we're not just going to put out an RFP or other competitive bid and go from A to Z. We're going to go from A to B to C to D to E, and that's a that's a really new concept for. I think state government specifically, because we're used to just saying, this is what we want to buy and we're going to go from A to to Z. In the agile procurement world, what I think is such a critical component is the collaboration between government and vendor. And government, um, historically, I don't think has done a great job at stepping back and saying, maybe I don't know what I want to buy. Maybe I think I do, but I want to collaborate with the private sector to really get what would be most beneficial and best value for taxpayers. So, um, I'm going to pause there because I, and I just want to say agile procurement is awesome, great concept. It is not easy to pull off from a practical standpoint.
0: Let me, let me, let me, um, break agile into three buckets so that we can know at least when we're talking about stuff like which one of those buckets we're talking about. So I think there's, um, there is a more agile approach to procurement <clears throat> that would do things like uh, performance-based or performance-outcome-based bids or uh, uh, challenge bids or, or different ways to go to market. That's one bucket. There is then using agile as opposed to waterfall in the process of delivering on projects which is a different bucket, and then there's a third bucket, which is contracting for agile services, and how do you keep the controls in those situations, and each one of those we could talk about for, an, you know, an hour for sure. So just, I think one of the problems with having these conversations sometimes is just the, 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 the vocabulary, right? So Jenny, you're a, you're a risk officer, right, among other tasks, and I, I came across you in Clubhouse in a government contracting room, and I was like, I need to know, Jenny. <laughs> so why don't you quickly introduce yourself since you may be new to some of this group and let us know if you have any thoughts about this topic.
2: Sure, Jenny Hederman, and I work at the Comptroller's Office in Massachusetts, and currently I'm state risk counsel, but in my original role as um, both deputy and then general counsel, I was involved with Massachusetts procurement reform. And we moved from a very stringent RFP process to a more best value model, which allows an enormous amount of flexibility in how you set up your procurement. And in my experience, it's not that the rules are necessarily that strict. It's that there's a real fear about being creative during your procurement and that there's going to be um, procurement challenges. And if you can't really measure it, and make it really clear, it's much harder to um, enforce. But what we have found is that building in both your basic requirements uh, of what you think you need, but also having opportunities for your bidders to respond and give their own recommendations of what they can offer. And then in addition to what you've asked for, offer other things that might be relevant to the engagement um, really makes a difference in how to evaluate the, the vendor. So that's one way that Massachusetts has, has built in that agility into the procurement process. But what we find is that the people who are actually doing the procurement are going through checklists and are less um, comfortable with being creative in what they're asking for. And And that's really something that is kind of a training issue.
0: From a running this room perspective, by the way, guys, like in the first time we did this, I did a lot of round robin things and I called on you guys individually. What I'm going to do now, since this, I want this to be a more free-flowing conversation, is if any of you guys wanted to jump into the conversation, just unmute and just assume that I'm watching and I'll sort of call and point to you guys. So as you want to chime in, please. Um, for people who are in the room, we're doing a recording recording, um, for the first half hour with some of the procurement practitioners so that people who are not on clubhouse can kind of hear how it is. And, and since, since this is still kind of a beta, um, app for some, um, and then in the, after the first half hour, I'll turn off the recording and then we can invite people on stage to ask questions as they, they will. So Jonathan, you're, you're new to, uh, to talking in clubhouse. So you're with the state of Louisiana. So what are your thoughts on what we've been talking about?
3: I just I wanted to echo what Jenny said I think um, it segues to a really important uh, topic whenever you are talking about agility and public procurement you have to be specific about whether you're talking about um, to use Jenny's phrase getting creative regarding outputs or getting creative regarding outcomes. I think some people hear agility and they're afraid that it means expediency that you know you're willing to compromise on the outcomes not just, being flexible on the output to get there. Um, so, to use a much older, <laughs> more dated framework, which is how I think, um, I think any conversation about agility needs to have in the back of its mind about: Are we um, focusing on changing, you know, processes as an instrument of efficiency, or are we focusing on changing outcomes as an instrument of effectiveness? Um, I think you need to be cognizant of both. But I think with our industry being as traditional and conservative and risk-averse as it typically has been, I think whatever if people hear agility or see agility and they hear expediency, they're going to think that it's a focus on compromising outcomes rather than on being willing to revisit the outputs or processes that are needed to get there.
0: You guys chime in. <clears throat> it doesn't need to bounce to me every time. Um, as you feel the spirit uh, move you, then then please jump in. Go ahead, Christina.
4: Hi, good morning and good afternoon to some. Um, I'm Christina Simeraro here in South Florida. Um, I just uh, wanted to add to the conversation not to be afraid to um, just engage directly with vendors at the outset of some type of issue or, or you know problem needing to be answered, Um, don't be afraid to create those relationships with um, vendors um, and kind of, uh, you know, fuse onto them for their either advice um, and maybe case studies that have worked for them in the past with their different clients. when you call up a vendor to pick their brain as a procurement um, agent, you know, you are, you're, you're getting the whole other side of, of the story. You're getting the whole other pieces of puzzle that, you, you just don't have when you're sitting behind the desk and when you're trying to figure out how to get through so much bureaucracy and red tape. So sometimes when you talk to them, um, they might either have a co-op or a piggyback contract they can throw at you. That's that's usually the easiest, fastest thing that can help you get from A to Z. Um, but if, if they don't have that and they're just trying to walk you through other solutions they came up with for other um, government clients, that also can start to help you connect the dots because you can call up those agencies as well, and I've actually made a lot of um, a lot of colleagues and friends in that way. Um, talking to a vendor and then being connected to another procurement person who ends up, uh, you know, giving me their side of the story and and helping me, you know, be solution based with however they solve their issues. So I don't know if anyone else has has had situations like that before, but I remember earlier on. In my career, I was like more scared to talk to vendors, just like you said, because of the traditionalism and the conservatism of, of our field and, um, you know, not really knowing what to say. But the trick is just not saying much and seeing what they can um, help come up with and help solve and then, you know, working with your peers, your colleagues and, um, and your team to figure out um, how those solutions could potentially work for you because every agency is so different in how, how their policies run and stuff. So that's that's kind of my two cents to um, agile procurement. And then the last thing I'll say is that having um, boiler blades <laughs> is so important. Um, at least three or four that you can pull down at any time for you know, quick solicitations, for long solicitations, you know, and keeping those boilerplates updated, of course, along with, um, you know, local and and county and state uh, law, federal law, all that stuff, just having somebody in charge of keeping those boilerplates updated. That was, that was me. (laughs) I was always the person in my agencies that kept track of legislation and so forth. So those are the two things that I would say is, is not being afraid to call vendors, and then making sure that you, um, that you always have the latest and greatest templates that you can access at any time so that you're not stalling and having tons of yellow lights as you're trying to get those procurements out. Thank you.
1: Hey, Christina, this is Jamie. I just want to touch on the point one that you just made regarding calling vendors. I think that's such a critical component in agile procurement to have that that collaboration and ask vendors for their advice, They're deemed, um, you know, the experts in the field. And Justin, for those private vendors who may be listening in on this call or hearing the, re- the recording later on, I want to put out there for the group a challenge that we continuously experience as we're starting to have those dialogues with vendors. Um, we'll have, I'm going to use our technology group as an example, but it could be any group. Oftentimes we have a vendor that will come in, they'll show us a, a demonstration of their product, Um, It looks fantastic, right? It it feels like the new shiny penny that will solve all of our problems. And then procurement has to come in and have the conversation with with, uh, the agency saying, well, wait a minute, this looks like a shiny penny. It probably would meet your needs, but who else out there in the marketplace can uh, solve the problem and so that we can meet our open and fair competition? Um, so I'm just curious, I'll throw that out there for the group, if others experience that same challenge, because when you think about traditional procurement processing, that I think one of the challenges that we have is to not and not fall in love with you know, the demo and the shiny penny. I'll just
5: jump in, Kristen, with uh, Shelby County Government. And um, absolutely, we experience that. We're, we operate in a very uh, decentralized, so in those decentralized environments, the likelihood that vendors are being able to uh, have those conversations and do those demos with the departments uh, and showing those, those shiny pennies to them um, does a lot of time make uh, procurement or purchasing. When we come in, it looks like, okay, now we're kind of slowing the process down and maybe really getting away from the best value uh, because we have to go through that process based on our, um, you know, state guidelines or charters and, policies and things of that nature. So definitely find that to be um, something that that takes away a little bit more flexibility that we would like to offer. Um, so I'm definitely listening for any solutions. I,
4: I can offer a solution to that. And that's a great point, Jamie, in that um, sometimes we do meet with these uh, vendors or departments will meet with these vendors and we're like, oh, we want that, you know, and and then the the, the department kind of sends us down a track of, you know, trying to get it um, and, and, and really, you can tell which vendor they want to engage with. Um, the thing that I would, I would offer to that is that when you've been, t- you or a department has been talking to these vendors for weeks, months, however long, and then you're like, okay, we're going to be doing a solicitation, we're going to be putting this to open market. I, um, I would usually say upfront or in the pre bid meeting at some point, I would mention that if this is a solution that is unitized, in a way that other agencies can access this, um, you know, contract or this, so, this, this uh, resulting, you know, solicitation contract um, engagement, then that's something that um, other agencies can, uh, you know, piggyback onto and so forth. And that kind of sweetens the pot, sweetens um, the deal for vendors even engaging in the process. Um, if they're, if they know that there's a, a good chance that they may be, you know, a, a primary, secondary, tertiary, however you end up structuring the award vendor on something. And they're like, okay, you know, it can't hurt to participate in this process. You know, even if we get second place or third place, we could be on some type of piggyback or co-op contract. That's something that I've kind of, I would say, used in order to um, market the entire solicitation process, which like you said, can be daunting and time consuming, and especially costly for our, you know, our vendors, which are also sort of our clients, you know, they're the other half of our clientele. They're our external clientele that we deal with. And so we also have to keep, um, keep ourselves aware of them and their needs and their time and be conscious of that. I'm, I'm very, um, very conscious of the vendor's time and not, you know, not wasting. So I don't know if anyone's why don't used we come that before.
0: To, why don't we come to James um, in the district of Columbia? Cause you get yeah, yeah. views of both the, you know, the district as a, as a state peer, and then you see a lot of federal. So, so what are you seeing, James?
6: Uh, Absolutely. And thank you again, James Crenshaw District of Columbia. What, what we've tried to do is, is have visibility to the vendors. And and so this actually goes back to uh, experience with the city of Atlanta. Uh, One of the most common calls that I will receive is how do we do business with the city? How do we do business with the city? And I've had a lot of experience with uh, information technology departments in Atlanta and in D.C. And what I found uh, with those departments is they have uh, some of the highest, I would say, requests for, for demos, uh, soul sources and things of that nature. So what we did was we put together what we call an industry day. And, and we've have, we'd have these industry days uh, once a quarter. And we treat them like recruitment windows uh, in in sports. So you, you know, in a, in a recruitment window, you can talk to the to the players for a certain period of time, and then after that, there's no conversation. So we would do this with our industry days. And so we bring the vendors out um, for from a particular sector, and we let them know all of the things that we are interested in for for this for that particular fiscal year or the next coming months. From there. Um, we would have them break off into groups and we would allow them to provide ideas and, and things of that nature. And then we would go back and to our user agencies and, and see how we could craft a solicitation that, that met their needs that was also inclusive to the vendor community, uh, small and large. And so what we found was our procurement participation uh, increased over 75%. Uh, just with those industry days, uh, vendor trust increase. And this is something we track, specific, uh, particularly in the city of Atlanta, we track it daily um, with participation. And so these were things that were important to show to the vendor community that we are we are here for you. We want to do business for you. And, and we, w- we would even take it as far as we have um, RFP day, where we teach them how to put together their proposals and teach them some of the, the the hiccups that people find that cause them to be non-responsive and things of that nature. So we looked internally uh, first, and then we went out in, to grab the, the vendors.
0: Jenny, <clears throat> you're you're a yeah, no. risk officer. So how do okay. we do all this? Uh, and, and and keep it in the keep it in the lines, right? Like be disruptive, but also, you know, keep the confidence of of uh, of, of people that we're doing the procurement process in, in the right way.
2: Right. Great question. And I think anybody in government is gonna be dealing with this. Um, I think if you start out with a concept that everything you do has to be open and fair. You have to the whole purpose of government is to make sure that you're giving the same opportunity to everybody who's qualified in that area and that you're not doing something that's going to be biased in favor of one vendor or another. So if you start out with that premise, then what you build is a process that if you really are reaching out to vendors, there's a variety of ways of doing it, like Christina had mentioned. Um, You can reach out just to get information if you really don't know what the industry is like. What we do in Massachusetts is we do with uh, something called an, an RFI, a request for information. We put it out there and ask vendors to tell us what the industry standards are and what's available. The other opportunity is to bring a bunch of people in and do demos. So then you're not really focused on one vendor. You really bring in anybody who's interested in coming in and investing that time and, and giving a demo. So that's another way um, that we've worked it through, especially for larger procurement. There's going to be a public expectation that you are not kind of leaning uh, public money over in one direction or another. And and if you get accused of that, it's going to prevent you from doing business with that vendor. So that's just a caution. Um, another thing that I would just um, identify, um, and I think uh, Christine also mentioned it, is boilerplate. It's really important to have boilerplate, especially for your contracts, and to make that part of your procurement process so that you don't get through the process of picking somebody and then you have a really protracted negotiation process where they're just nickel and diming everything that you're saying. Um, In Massachusetts, we have boilerplates, which you pretty much have to accept if you're going to bid. So we really spend our time negotiating the detailed expectations of performance. That's where the time is. And if you're contracting at any level of government, I would say that the most time you should spend is not in the procurement document, but really on the expectations of your vendor, what you expect them to do so that you are on the same page and that that's really detailed in your contract. Um, another recommendation when you're going through the procurement process and dealing with vendors is don't deal with their sales staff exclusively. You really want to talk to the people who are going to actually be performing um, services or giving you the goods because the sales people will sell you And they will say, you know, this is a shiny penny and it will look really, really good. But the people who actually do the work, they need to know what those expectations are. So we always, in our larger procurements, don't talk to the salespeople during the procurement. They can come in, but we want the people who are going to be in the trenches doing the work to see if they really are going to be able to work well, you know, with our staff and and on the project. And they really can articulate what they can do. So that's another another good piece of advice that, that's definitely um, helped us. And the other third consideration is understand that in government you will be audited on what you're doing, whether it's the public, the press, um, or your auditors that are coming in. So document what you're doing all the way through the process and really identify why you're making these best value decisions on behalf of your government entity, because that goes a long way when people are criticizing what you've done, you have documentation saying these, these were the things that we considered, and this is why it was in the best interest of this governmental
1: entity. So documentation is going to be really important also. Thank you. Well, Jessica, I will just quickly say, Jenny, I think those comments are super helpful. And James, it's a great way to hear how you guys have worked through Agile procurement. Um, I will be the, I'll be the naysayer and the first one to raise my hand to say, I'm not entirely comfortable with it, right? I, I want to be. I'm certainly not afraid to push the gray area, but I'm probably a little bit more old school. And I will, I will admit, I don't want to be on the front page of the paper when I've screwed something up and I've got a $90 million technology system that can't go, can't go live. So I think for me to get more comfortable with it, I'd like to see... I'd like to see some test cases and I'd like to, I'd like to almost do a couple of mock bids with some vendors and be collaborative just to go through it. Let's see where the pitfalls are both from the vendor perspective, but also from my customer agency perspective.
0: So Jamie, um, and if you remember before, I kind of laid the three buckets, right? Where bucket one was um, doing some more agile things in the procurement event So the interview I did with Jim Colangelo um, about a month ago, he was talking about how they, in order to deal with the IT folks needing to feel like they could touch and feel it a little bit and not have the RFP process just be this huge cone of silence, you know, he created something called a competitive proof of concept that basically embedded a try and feel it period into an RFP process. And I thought that was very clever, Like I think for people who are like, I want to be more agile, but I also don't know how to, how to set that up. I think they're, you know, looking at how some others are trying to incorporate a little bit more flex into the process is, is potentially pretty interesting. Um,
1: Yeah. I, I think you're spot on, Dustin. And I appreciate very much what Jim has done. The RFI process feels, um, a little bit more open, and I would be. I've I've done a collaborative process in the RFI world um, a couple of times, and that seemed to go well, right up until it didn't go well, and then it feels like a freight train is colliding. Um, and so the the cautionary, I guess, piece that I'm always looking for is which vendor is going to raise their hand at the end and say. I don't feel like I had a, I had a say in this process, or I don't feel like my voice was heard in the process. So I appreciate being able to do it in sort of an RFI format, figure out what we want to buy and then parcel it out from there. Um, And to your point, I think Jim's approach and also the California approach to the RFI squared is, is a terrific option to be agile.
0: So just the one, the one caveat on RFIs um, is that <clears throat> if the RFI doesn't then sort of foot into the RFP, a lot of times vendors are not going to do RFIs because those are foiable, right? And I'm just giving other vendors an ability to read and consume my things. So I have seen, I have seen it done where they've said that the RFI was a prerequisite for responding to the RFP and that, that then allowed for those documents to be protected so that the vendors would actually respond to the questions, um, but that you know, that flavor may change based on what your state allows. Um, Jonathan, are you guys trying to do any form or flavor of these kind of solicitation events or, or is it on your interest set? so tell me what's going on in louisiana
3: it's something that we're exploring on a case-by-case basis if if the circumstances specific to the solicitation warrant it most often however um, these types of alternative solicitation methods are just segues into the rfp process so it's arguable how much of an efficiency gain there is if we're doing an rfi um, as, a, as a prelude the RFP, either as a pre-qualification event or in terms of letting us get information from the vendor community about what the state of the art is. So I don't know how much it's... I would say that our usage of these types of alternate methods is really a boost in terms of effectiveness, perhaps at the cost of efficiency.
2: And I would just mention um, that this does not alleviate the necessity to really understand, you know, what you're buying and really understanding, you know, what do you need? Why do you need it? Who needs to use it? What does it have to integrate with if you're talking about IT? How do you secure it? Is it going to be handling, you know, PII or important government information? Um, and then what is the change management expectation? Because if it's, if it's completely new, what is how is it going to impact the users that are going to use it? I think people underestimate how much communication you really need to have and how much collaboration and information you need to gather on some some of these larger procurements. Small ones where they have less impact, not so much, but the larger procurements collaborating across agencies and within your own agency really is imperative. And I think you can be more agile the more information you have and the more clarity you have on what you need. So i wouldn't if you're going to do an rfi that's great but you really have to know kind of what you're looking for and then when the rfi comes in you have a better way of um, asking questions for vendors coming in
0: so we're getting close to the um to the half hour point on the recorded part james i saw you came off mic. i was going to say you know Let's uh, let's have any thoughts that are still kind of um, chiming in your, your head off of the conversation that we've had um, so that I can get to where we've closed that part of the session. And then we can let some people from the audience come up and, and interact with us on something. Well, Kristen, any last thoughts on some of this stuff as we wrap this part of the recording set? Um, go ahead.
5: I actually don't. Um, I mean, I I appreciate the feedback and kind of reiterating some practices uh, that, you know, I'm currently familiar with, but definitely hearing uh, some other options. That RFI really stuck out to me. Uh, It probably is one of the uh, more underutilized um, resources that we probably could uh, that probably could definitely help us be more agile. So I appreciate that feedback. I think the only other thing, if I had to offer anything, is in any agile environment, uh, one of the notes I made coming into this is just making sure that we get the right support from, the, um, you know, from top to bottom and then, of course, bottom up so that they both meet and you are able to um, be able to move and, um, and shift as, as you need to uh, with all the effective resources that you put in place for an agile environment. That's all I had to offer on it.
0: Great. Well, so um, so I'll wrap the uh, the recorded part by saying um, I want to try to do uh, sessions every Wednesday as long as a schedule of two or three of us uh, permit, um, and we'll pick different topics. When we're when I finish with this session, I'll get I'll pull the room on other topics they'd like to have. I can say that there was a lot of interaction with some of the posts that I did on this being a thing from people who have not normally kind of stood stuck their hand up and said, I'm interested in that. So um, I think the the interest in hearing recordings off of this will be good. And it builds that kind of connection that people want right now when we still aren't able to get back to getting to see each other in person. So um, with that, I'm going to click the end on this part of it. And thank you guys for listening who are on the podcast. And reach out to me on LinkedIn if you'd like to know how to participate on these things in the future. Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent.